You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. Someone always asks, is it possible to do Christianity alone? The answer is, does a chicken have lips? Does a snake have hips? Everybody say no and no. Here's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 4.9 Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Probably one of the most well-known words that Christians use is fellowship. The Bible contains numerous victories of faith when friends are involved. Before entering Corinth, the Apostle Paul needed friends that would encourage him throughout this mission. Today, Pastor Dion answers the question, can you do Christianity alone? The Bible states that one may be defeated, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. You, God, and who could be your third strand today? Now let's join Pastor Dion in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he continues his message, Friends. Gluttony, gambling, party, and prostitution. That's what the Corinthians did. In fact, every citizen, every citizen of Corinth was required to serve as a prostitute for a week. It was like jury duty. It was their way that they pledged allegiance to their patron goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. And so they would punch in, they would, you know, show up for their duty, uh, you know, and that there at the temple of Aphrodite to stay there a week. And then every night, a thousand of them, thousand men and women who were on duty would hustle tricks in the temple of Aphrodite with all of those sailors who were laid over there as they waited. Corinth was like a vile and immoral truck stop. It gave loves a whole new meaning. You know what I'm saying? Well, Paul, as he's you know, going from Athens, he saw the love sign and the off-ramp. And he considered passing it by. Because what Nineveh was to Jonah what Samaria was to the Jews. Go ahead and do it. But don't try not to spit on your neighbor, all right? What Nineveh was to Jonah, what Samaria was to the Jews, Corinth was to Paul. A city of perverts that deserved God's judgment. People that are beyond forgiveness and salvation. I mean, these Corinthians. Go ahead, do it. Do it, do it to your neighbor. Yeah. Gagney, right? That's Paul. He saw the sign. Loves Corinth, you know, and he's like, (laughs) forget those people. Paul wrote them off at that moment, but God didn't. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. It was probably here 
that God whispered to Paul those famous words, where sin abounds. Everybody out loud, grace abounds more. Let's say it again. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Right at that intersection, the Lord gave Paul a spiritual infomercial. He told Paul, my grace is like OxyClean. Huh? You can't tell its power until you put it to work against the dirtiest stains. And God's grace can cleanse the dirtiest sinners. Some of us might be shouting amen louder than others because we were some of the dirtiest. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Ha ha ha! So Paul at that intersection realized how those people God hadn't written off. Paul knew at this point that God wanted to save the Corinthians. Paul was still dragging around the insecurity from Athens. I mean, he didn't make a dent in an arena that he was familiar with amongst the elite and the educated. And he couldn't even make a dent there. How could he think to have any success in an arena of thugs and tramps and twisted people? I mean, how could he have any success amongst people he couldn't identify with or relate to? And especially all alone. Might end up in a ditch somewhere. Paul was being pulled outside of his comfort zone. In fact, he described it like this when he wrote to the Corinthians later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, listen to what Paul told them. He said, I came to you, everybody say it, in weakness, timid, and trembling. So Paul left Athens. He was a, saw the sign about to ride off these Corinthians. But God says, I love them. I want to save them. But Paul's saying, man, I, didn't even, I couldn't even make a dent with people I can identify with. And you want me to go into a place where I, man, I, I cannot see eye to eye with those people. I think they're better off in the other place. He was being pulled outside of his comfort zone. And he says, so, so I went into Corinth. I came in with weakness, timid and trembling. Maybe you too are at an impasse. Should you volunteer? Should you get involved? Should you share your God story? I mean, it feels awkward, uncomfortable. It feels frightening. I'm quaking in my boots. Well, guys, as Mother Teresa had written on the wall of her home, here's what it said. Everybody said it aloud, do it anyway. Say it again, do it anyway. Some of you need to write it on the dashboard of your car. Do it anyway. Love. Patience. Some of you need to write it you know, in your homes, at your office, on your desk. Do it. Everybody say it out loud, do it anyway. So Paul, with a knot in his stomach and his knees shaking, took the off-ramp. And then he prayed for God to help him. How many of you have done the same thing, huh? Jumped in and then, oh my gosh! He jumped in and before he even realized what he had got himself into, he had kind of already had an idea of what was going to happen, of what he was going to face. But So he jumped in and that's the reason that he prayed for God's help. Paul made, at that juncture, after he took the off-ramp, 
Paul made an Old Testament vow. It's called a Nazarite vow. Everybody said out loud a what? A Nazarite vow. What is that, Pastor Dion? Well, the Nazarite vow is kind of like a fast. A temporary commitment of dedication and prayer for strength. You know, those that you've run across, and especially really spiritual Christians that tell you, well, I'm fasting. Well, what is that exactly? They're telling you that they have set some time aside for them to dedicate themselves to the Lord and ask for some spiritual strength. So the Nazarite vow was something similar to fasting. In fact, according to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 6, that describes the Nazarite vow, the person taking the vow must set a time frame. It's going to be a week. It's going to be a month. It's going to be a year. The whole time that I'm going to be in Corinth is what Paul is going to say. The whole time that I'm going to be in Corinth. So you'd set a time frame. Alright, so that's the book of Leviticus said the first thing you had to do, the person taking a vow had to set a time frame. And then during the time frame, you needed to abstain from three things in this Nazarite vow. From grape concoctions, from cadavers, and from clippers. Alright? So no grapes in any way, shape, or form. No raisin bran for breakfast. No wine with your meals. No empanaditas for dessert. No! No grapes in any form, shape, or way. Plus, you couldn't go to no viewings or funerals. You could not get next to a dead body no matter how close in relationship they were to you. During that vow, you couldn't do those three things. So far, grape concoctions? No. Everybody said what? And then dead bodies? Everybody said And then the last thing that you couldn't do is that no barbers. You were not to cut your hair until the maturity date. Until the date that you set. Then, what you'd do after that the date happened, you'd shave your head and you would offer your hair as a sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem. That was the Nazarite vow. We know that Paul took this vow because it says in verse 18 of Acts chapter 18, here's what it says, the chapter we in, go ahead and look at verse 18. It says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. He stayed in Corinth for 18 months. And then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Chachuria. There he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, making the end of a vow. So now I just painted all the background for you. You got it? So Paul comes to Corinth and says, oh no, those guys are too wicked. They deserve to go to hell. But God says, I want them reached. So Paul's feeling pulled outside of his comfort zone, but he surrenders to God's will. I will do what you want me to. I will get off the off-ramp. But then he gives this vow, Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm making a Nazarite vow, I'm consecrating myself to you, that I will be dedicated to you for the whole time that I'm in Corinth, and I will fulfill a Nazarite vow so you can help me do your work here in Corinth. Oh, it was awesome. 
So at the off-ramp in Corinth, Paul dedicated himself to the Lord and asked for strength to reach the Corinthians. And God answered immediately. I mean, he just got into the city. God answered him immediately and gave Paul what he needed most. This is what he needed most. Everybody say it out loud. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a friend in me. Providential relationships. That's the first thing. How God answered Paul. He prayed that he needed help to do what God wanted him to do. And no sooner does he get into town and God answered his prayer by giving him friends. Let's read the text. Chapter 18, verse 1. Here's what it says. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to, everybody say it, Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, they were tent makers, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Paul prays that prayer at the off-ramp, continues in, and God answers his prayer for strength and gives him, and everybody said again, he gave him what? Friends. When we're discouraged and a little bit deflated, when we're on our last bit of energy or passion or confidence, on our last little bit of faith, God will connect us with some encouraging friends. Throughout the Bible, God orchestrated providential relationships. At just the right time, God placed Samuel in Saul's life. At just the right time, God placed Ruth in Naomi's life. At just the right time, God placed Jonathan in David's life. At just the right time, God placed Elijah in Elijah's life. At just the right time, God placed Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in Daniel's life. And at just the right time, God placed Aquila and Priscilla in Paul's life. It's all over the Bible. Aquila and Priscilla were a couple of tent makers who more than likely contracted work from the Roman military. So here's a couple, uh, a married couple, who do work together, and what they do is they're tent makers by trade. They had a contract with probably the Roman military making the tents for all of their soldiers, but because uh, Jewish prejudice was escalating in Rome, you know, Jews were being forced out of Italy, Aquila and Priscilla lost their contract and their work visas and ended up in Corinth. Now you know that God is behind their story, don't you? See, no Christian in their right mind would choose Corinth as a hometown. You know what I'm saying? Let's just go live in Vegas. God orchestrated Aquila and Priscilla to Corinth because a discouraged Paul would need their friendship. There's a verse. God will provide all your needs according to His riches in glory. 
And this is not talking only about your finances. Only about... God will provide everything you need according to His riches in glory. And one of His glorious provisions are friends. That's really good. See, God wants us, wants us to say, then I met fill in the blank. Then I met Ryan. Then I met Richard. I, I was going through a thing and then I met Becky. And then I met Dolores. And then I met Troy. And then I met Stacy. God wants us to hear us say those kind of things. Because He did all the orchestrating. I was going through a thing, then I met, and they befriended me, encouraged me, inspired me, and they helped me with spiritual life. I would never have come this far had they not showed up. I would never have stayed standing without their help. Isn't that awesome, guys? God wants to hear us say that. Someone always asks, is it possible to do Christianity alone? The answer is, does a chicken have lips? Does a snake have hips? Everybody say, no and no. Here's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 4.9 Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And then Proverbs 27.17 As iron sharpens iron, so friends can improve each other. The wrong kind of friends, the Apostle Paul said, will cause you a lot of trouble. They'll influence you in the wrong way. But the opposite is also true. The right kind of friends can propel you to new heights in your relationship with the Lord. Can encourage and strengthen you and help you. Jesus created the church to be a haven of friends. A haven of encouragement, support, and strength, and comfort. Our spiritual journey will be a lot easier and a lot more fun when it's done with friends. So go ahead again and tell your neighbor, you have a friend in me. Just like Woody, go ahead and tell you have a friend in me. See, you need someone, and someone needs you. I want to say it again. You need someone, and someone needs you. And the Lord needs you. Say it out loud. The Lord needs us. You know, Sir Michael Costa was a great orchestra conductor. And as his orchestra was rehearsing one day, a piccolo player stopped playing. 
After all, who would miss the piccolo amidst all the instruments, a hundred and so instruments that were blazing? Who would miss the piccolo? All of a sudden, Sir Costa, the, or, you know, the, the conductor, said, Stop! Stop! What happened to the piccolo? We may sometimes feel like the piccolo player if we stopped serving or stopped going to church or stopped being involved or if we just stopped doing ministry, would anybody really notice? And especially, your great conductor notices. He needs every single one of us to complete his musical composition. Look at your neighbor and say, you're needed. In fact, let's make it a little more personal. Look at them and say, I need you. You're needed. So stop avoiding God's providential relationships. Stop being too busy. You know, people say, I would, but I'm just so busy. Stop being too busy. Stop being too critical. You know, I I don't like them. They just, they, 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 they're different. They're just weird. They, just, they do this and they do that. And I don't know. I don't like them. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I hope he's not talking about you right now. Just look at him and tell him. I would, but yeah. So what do you think? Oh, I don't know. They're just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't. Huh? Stop being too busy. Stop being too critical. Or stop being too cynical. What if they hurt me? What if they end up like, those last people that we, you know, we, we really put our heart out there and they just walked right all over it and, you know, stomped all across our life and just left us hurting. That's why I don't get involved in a church. That's why I stay out along the perimeter. I never really get involved, never connect with others because, you know, people are such hypocrites. Stop being too cynical. Throw your heart out there. Let's be open to the godly influences that are around us. And let's be open to being the godly influences. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Let's read it out loud together. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Let's stop right there. Alright? Everybody gets a gift from God. Everyone. So he says, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. So what? Everybody said, use them. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it! Everybody said, do it! With all the strength and energy that God supplies, then everything you do will bring glory to God. We're so glad that you joined us today for The Simple Truth, a ministry of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. Pastor Dion Cordova has been sharing from the book of Acts, a book that gives us an insider's peek into the first 30 years of the church. From persecution to miracles, this book truly has it all. 
What an inspiring narrative, watching how disciples like Peter go from denying Jesus to losing his life for Jesus. Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us a perspective that emphasizes life change. He writes, And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Jesus didn't just come to change the system. He came to change people. If what you heard today has impacted you, we would love to hear about it and pray for you too. You're more than welcome to give us a call at 505-753-4363. Again, 505-753-4363. We'd like to encourage you to get involved in a local church as well. This will be a place that you can ask questions, learn more about Jesus, and find support as you grow in your faith. Are you in the Española area? If so, we would love for you to come visit us at Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. We meet on Sundays and Wednesdays for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship. You can find out more and get directions to the church by visiting tmcalvary.com. That's tmcalvary.com. Our time with you is coming to an end today, but we want to thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time for more from the book of Acts right here on The Simple Truth. In the deeds we sow, let us join our hands and together we stand. Together.